right, Cindy Klein, welcome to the Living Out Love podcast. I am Thank you. so, so excited that you're here um, for multiple reasons. So I'm going to talk and then I promise I will let you talk. Um, a, I've just always felt drawn to you and your energy. And so I've always wanted to know more about you and learn more from you. Um, but also I had this idea of how genius it would be to talk to you about grief. <laughs> um, you know, the, the podcast is titled Living Out Love. And the reason for that is I want to either heal the things we need to heal in order to live out love or teach the skills we need to learn to live out our love. And for me, a lot of that comes back to our own emotional intelligence. And so I thought talking to you about grief would be a wonderful thing for especially my audience since I'm a medium. But what's been interesting is that since we set this up, um, I've had quite a few things happen where me and also some people I know are going through some very intense periods of grief. And so I have felt like, well, this was just divine timing for me to come talk to Cindy Klein. And so um, for everybody listening, I will tell I will tell the podcast audience how I know Cindy and then I'll let her introduce herself. Um, I've attended Unity Church of Houston basically my whole life. Cindy Klein has been there as long as I can remember um, on staff and volunteering. She works a lot with the animal ministry and she she does a lot of prosperity. Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich. Um, so I've never actually heard Cindy talk about grief, but I begged her to please come on and bless us with her wisdom. So Cindy, what else should we know? Well, Amy, I want to say thank you for inviting me on. I, it's, um, it is a honor to be able to come on and to share what I've learned about grief. And yes, I feel so old because I've watched you grow up. <laughs> I I love you. What you said about me and my energy, I feel that way about you and all the wonderful work that you were doing, Amy. And uh, the reading that you did for me was so healing, spot on. So thank you very much. Yeah, I've watched you grow up and know your family. And, uh, just what an amazing family you are. Oh, thank yeah. you. I think so, too. And now your little children. Your little children growing up here, too, is just so wonderful. I love it. I love it. Oh, well, thank you so much for being here. Is there anything else? I feel like there's so much more to you than what I even know. So is there anything else my audience should know just about you? Well, uh, yes, I, I have a, I'm the mother of a wonderful son who's 27 that uh, is the beat of my heart. And I have a grandchild that is five months old, a baby girl, and I just loving being a grandmother. I'm also recently became a pet chaplain. Oh. And what I do, I learned so much from the program I went through. I help people navigate their grief mm. with the either upcoming loss of a pet, anticipatory grief, or help them in the stages of making last wishes plans for their animal mm. and so I can be there with them and help them navigate that process um, I'm also will be ordained at the end of March as a new thought interfaith minister and so I'm very excited about that that is um, that is something I've been working towards for several years now and uh, actually about 40 years really but <laughs> um, but I actually it's so funny people said well, how long did it take you to go through the program? And I say about 40 years. And I go, wow, that's a long, that's a long program. Uh, but I am very excited about that program. It's really about a two-year process. Um, and I do, I have, um, I do help people as a life mastery coach and consultant. I help people navigate their grief and loss and can help people with life coaching situations or creating the life they would love to live mm -hmm. you know and for me what you said earlier really had a point with me we can't move forward in our lives to love or to life or to expansion or to living fully until we're able to heal mm -hmm. the things that are so emotionally disturbing to us we have to find a way to heal our, our pain 
in order to move forward. So it is my absolute great joy to be here with you and to talk about this. Yes. Oh, oh, I didn't even know all that about you. So I'm already just jazzed that you're here because now I, I know more. And it's interesting. I had heard the phrase of like a death doula of people that help family expecting the loved one of a passing. So now knowing you do that for pets, literally I was talking to a very close loved one of mine just last night who just lost a pet. And she was sharing how long it's been since she's experienced grief. And she said, I forgot how physical it is. Like, like my chest just hurts with the grief and the crying. And I was like, oh, yeah, it is. It's so physical when you are going, especially that initial wave of grief. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And one of the things I would like to talk about today is disenfranchisement. Mm. And that's grief that people don't normally acknowledge. It can be the loss of a pet. It could be the loss of uh, a, someone that, it could be an ex-spouse. It could be a job. It could be a number of things where your uh, tribe yeah. or the people around yeah. you don't necessarily acknowledge it. It goes unacknowledged. Or people may say, uh, oh, you can... You, you can get another dog. Yeah. Uh, and so people are not being acknowledged for the tremendous grief that they're having. Or if you've lost a child, they may say, oh, if you have children already, they may say, oh, thank goodness you've got three children you have. Right. Or if you don't have any children, they may say, oh, well, you're young. You can have more children. And these things are not helpful things to say. And it's called disenfranchised grief, where you're not really being acknowledged by your community and your tribe that you're going through a tremendous loss. Yeah. So yes, I understand pet loss. Some people, that's all they have for their pets. Mm. You know, mm. they may not, their children may be gone from home or they may have never had children. And for me, I'm a big pet lover and they love so unconditionally. Yeah. And they're with us so much of the time that, uh, you know, I, I have grieved at some points deep, as deeply for the loss of my pet as I have for in my life. Right. So, yeah, it can be very, very hard. Yeah. And I think what's so interesting about what you said is I think in general in our society, we don't really know how to honor negative emotion. It makes so many other people uncomfortable to be with somebody that's having a negative emotion that it's like, let me just make you feel better. And yes. and they may be coming from a loving place, but it has the the opposite reaction, um, and it makes that person feel not seen. And honestly, I think some people even question. Like I think they sort of feel like, well, maybe I'm not grieving, or like maybe, maybe I was kind of wrong to feel that way. Like it's it can be confusing when the world is saying, oh, just have another baby, which is something people said to me, um, which like. I eventually did, but that doesn't change the initial situation at all. I mean, I was able to hear that, but I have, you know, I'm lucky to be me. I'll say that. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. It is. People just don't know any better. You know, they, they don't know any better. They're trying. You're right. They don't want to be in the midst of uncomfortableness. They're thinking, what can I say to make this better? Well, this is something they grab out of the air to say that they think will make you feel better, but it doesn't, that, that puts you into that disenfranchised grief Yeah. because it's not being acknowledged. This is a tremendous loss, a miscarriage, tremendous loss in a family's life. So it needs to be acknowledged. I think if we can become more comfortable with grief and how to stand with people in their grief, it would be a wonderful step. I, I really do. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, so I want to know what you tell me which question you want to answer first. I want to know what is your relationship with grief? And I also want to know how do you even define grief? So I have a long running history with grief. I've lost five of my family to suicide. Mm. Uh, the first being my stepfather. When I was in my late twenties, and uh, 
and then my sister about I was in my 30s when I lost my sister to suicide and just about three years ago three to four years ago I lost my nephew mm. to suicide he left behind two adult children a younger child and wife and I've lost two brother-in-laws to and then, of course, being the age I am now, at this juncture in my life, I've lost both parents. I've lost all sets of grandparents. I've had a tremendous amount of loss in my life. I lost my father when I was five, passed away uh, unexpectedly. So I've had a lot of loss in my life. I've experienced tremendous grief. And I do define grief as the loss of anything that has importance to us in our life, that has meaning to us in our life. I, I, like we talked about earlier, the loss of a job, very much so, a grieving process, the loss of a friend, a friendship, a relationship. In death, definitely, when someone has passed on, or someone or an animal has passed on, that is a tremendous grief. That, quite honestly, initially, I really felt like it was going to kill me. Mm -hmm. I did. I felt like grief was going to kill me. And I, I didn't want to experience it because I thought it would just kill me. And I, I had therapy for my grief early on mm -hmm. and learned that it wouldn't kill me. <laughs> so I was able to go through it. Thank God. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, the more we learn about grief and we, I, I, I almost hate to say this, but it is necessary. We, we none of us escape grief. There's right. not one person that will escape grief, and you can delay it, and you can choose to distract from it, but eventually you have to experience grief in order to move past it. And I, um, I came across a very interesting different types of grief that I'd like to just talk about briefly, if that's okay. Yeah. Um, the model that Elizabeth Kubler-Ross came up with was the five stages of grief. And you can move in and out of these different stages. It's not a set, gee, you're going to go through six weeks of this, and then you're right. going to move on to the next stage. You go through different stages at different times, and it can last for different times. But the five stages of grief start with denial. Mm -hmm. I know when I, lost my, when I lost my sister, I was in complete denial. You know, this hasn't happened. Uh, this didn't happen. No, this couldn't be true. And I think that this happens to us uh, with people dying. We can we say, no, 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 this is not true. Uh, anger, then we can become angry. Uh, why did this disease take my loved one? Or why did my loved one choose to leave the planet? Why did this happen? So we can move into anger. Then there's a bargaining process. If someone's is sick or, you know, Close to passing, we can be bargaining with whatever we call creator, you the universe, whatever you want to call creator, God, whatever you want to call the power that created us. We can go through that bargaining process of you know if you just let if you just let uh, Mary be healthy, I will I will be a good person from now on, or I will do wonderful things in my life, or I'll give a lot of money to this charity. We go into a bargaining. And then we go into depression, and then the last stage is acceptance. And we move in and out of those. Sometimes we can be in it, we get to acceptance, and then all of a sudden it starts all over again. We're back to the angry stage. We're back to the denial stage. I know for myself, my mother's been gone, I think about four years now. She was my best friend, and I still, to this day, I know she's gone. But when something exciting has happened, or something that's upsetting has happened, I'll go to pick up the phone and call mom. Uh -huh. You know, I, I, I forget she's not with us. So uh, I start right back over again, that denial stage of, no, mom's, mom's still here with me. Um, so I, I think that's important to realize those stages. Yeah. And, uh, and then I came across, this was on betterplaceforest.com. This is the different, the seven, they identify seven different types of grief, oh. which just let me know when I go through them, if any of them resonate and you want to talk about them more. One is normal grief, 
and that's where we um, go through the emotional and the behavioral process of, of someone's passing. But then the, the second one is anticipatory grief. Oh, yeah. And that's where we're anticipating a loss. And I will tell you, I was an anticipatory grief for years, anticipating my mother's passing. Yeah. I, I loved her so much. And I knew her passing would be traumatic. That I, I made all her arrangements ahead of time. Mm -hmm. I wrote out her eulogy ahead of time. I had everything taken care of to the very last degree. I had it all already taken care of. Everything arranged and, and ready to go. Because I knew when I lost her that it would be so devastating that I needed to have these things taken care of. And uh, so that's anticipatory grief. And we can have that with our animals, too. Oftentimes we uh, know that our animals are not well. And, and I have had that with my little animals as well. The third one is disenfranchisement. And that's mm -hmm. what we talked about. We have a loss. And people are not acknowledging that, yes, this is painful. How can I support you? How can I help you? The fourth one is chronic grief. And this is when the person is not getting better over time. Mm. They're staying in that grieving, initial grieving state. And so it really is recommended during that time to um, get some professional counseling, grief counseling to help, help the person through that. There's also abbreviated grief. Number five is abbreviated. And they go through grief a little more quickly than uh, someone else may. And it says anticipatory grief helps with that abbreviated grief. Hmm. Uh, if you've already anticipated the loss and you've been grieving all along, then you can go through the, the abbreviated grief a little more quickly. Uh, though you don't want to just stay in anticipatory grief right. for years. <laughs> uh, you want to have a little time limit on that so that you're not... Uh, in a state of sorrow for a long time. Uh, number six is traumatic grief. And that's when you've lost someone uh, quickly, mm. someone unexpected uh, through a tragic situation. A suicide would be a traumatic grief. It's a shock. And there's a, a big denial there that this, this hasn't happened. Really go into a state of shock. And the last one is absent grief. And it may look like somebody's not grieving, to the outside world, and it's real important not to pass judgment on, mm -hmm. oh, they're not grieving the way we think people should grieve. We, we sometimes say, oh, uh, you know, Mary's not grieving. She's going on with her life, but we don't know. Grief, everybody grieves differently. Absolutely. And so we shouldn't judge how somebody's grieving to, if we can become knowledgeable with the different phases of grief and and ask ask the person how are you handling what can i do to be a support system to you during this time and see what they say yeah some people want to go like i can i've at this stage in my life i've had friends who've lost people and and i'll ask would you like to go to a movie would you like to go out what would you like to do? Some people don't want to do anything. They just want to be at home uh, for a while and just assimilate everything that's happened. Other people are ready to, to take a break from grief. Grief is hard. Grief yeah. is a hard process. It, it is. So ask. Yeah. I, ask. Well, I feel like with grief, it's so... I think there are some emotions where you kind of learn your patterning. Like I know my patterning around anger and my patterning around resentment and sadness and those, but with grief, it feels like it's more unpredictable. And so I have a harder time supporting myself through the process because I like, I'd never know if it's going to hit me and if it's going to hit me, if it's going to be loud and consuming, or if it's just going to keep me kind of fatigued all day. Um, to me, that's one of the things that makes grief so tricky is that it can take many shapes and has different rhythms oh absolutely absolutely 
And you know, one day I was, oh, I don't know, it was probably months after my mother had passed. And I'm, I feel like I'm just living a normal day, driving down the road, and all of a sudden it's like an ocean wave just, you know, flowed over of grief, yeah. of just missing her. And I wasn't expecting that. I had had my anticipatory grief. Yeah. I thought I was at everything. So you're so right. Just don't know all the different elements that come up with grief. Yeah. And each one can be, each person, each loss is, is different. Each loss has a differentness to it. it. There's a sameness in that it's loss. Right. But how we experience that grieving process can be very different. You know, one thing Reverend Michael says is that every loss brings up all the previous losses. Uh, he has said that many times. Yeah. Like, you know, you've lost someone and then bam, 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 all the other losses back, slap, you know, slap you in the face again and, and, and you go down that path. So it's, it's a, it's, it's, but it's difficult. But it is necessary, and it can be navigated. And the more we say yes to understanding it, the better our relationship with it can be. Right, right, right. So I wanted to respond. I have I've made three different notes that I'm like, oh, there's so much I need to respond to. So I want to just let the the audience know. So Elizabeth Kubler Ross studied a very specific form of grief. She's everybody that she studied were patients that were given a terminal diagnosis. And so it's not and what Cindy, what you already said is correct. They probably moved in and out of those stages. I just like people to know that that it wasn't just like she studied grief at large, because I think given a terminal diagnosis is such a specific example and accepting that they were going to pass on. Um, yes. That's true. Yeah. And then. You, I just have to go back to this, even though you said this a long time ago. You said that um, that you thought the grief would kill you. And I have said that in previous episodes of this podcast, that emotions are physiological bodily experiences and that they can be so intense that our brain says, warning, like this is not OK. And it 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 does. It's arresting and you you need a minute to be like, oh, I'm not going to die. This is it's physically uncomfortable to experience this emotion. Um, and that that idea that that this might kill me. And so I'm going to suppress it or I'm going to drink or watch porn or or become a compulsive eater, exercise or whatever. Is, there's a reason why people do that. <laughs> um, and then the other thing that I just think is so fascinating that it's complicated about grief is I feel like it's so much of it's tied to our neural neural patterning. Like you have however many years you have of talking to your mother or of thinking you're bringing a baby home from the hospital. And then all of a sudden you don't, well, that neural pattern is still there. So it's like, it's not that you haven't accepted it. It's sort of like, you know, you have you ever had that experience where you call somebody the wrong name? You're like, oh, Amy, I meant Stephanie. I meant your mom. You know, it's your brain's just doing that. It's just doing its neural patterning thing. But then because it's attached to this loved one that you lost, it's like, then you have to do it all over again. And oh, so for me, I'm like, and I didn't send this in a list of questions to you, but I, I, I think the idea of having like a ritual around loss is important to help with grief. And obviously with um, a loved one passing on, we have funerals, we have the ritual. And for some people, seeing the body is very important or watching the casket, like some people that's important. So I sort of wonder if having rituals for other types of loss, like I know some people do divorce rituals now, if that would be helpful in neural patterning or not, I don't know. Have you ever done any sort of ritual or embodiment, any sort of acknowledgement of your grief or is that anything you've you've helped facilitate with somebody good question before i answer that i want to go back to the feeling of yeah. how horrible it how, how <laughs> horrible it actually does feel um the way i describe it 
this always I have always felt this way through losses that were very of people that were very important. The only way I know how to describe it is that it feels like there's a huge in my soul. Mm-hmm. And 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 like you could drive a Mack truck right through it's just right through me. I just and I don't know if that makes sense or not. It does. But I feel so incomplete. I feel so shattered, so broken in the midst of that. That that's and, and that's where that comes in. Uh, feeling like this is going to kill me. I am never gonna get past this. But you do learn through people loving you and supporting you. You accepting for yourself that you're gonna be you will be okay. Life will never be the way it was when that loved one was there. It changes and it will not ever go back to being the way it was. But you do learn to shape your life and um and, and go on and go on with life. So talking about rituals, um uh, yes, there's divorce rituals now. I'm so glad to see rituals uh taking more of a front and center stage for different uh different things slides i have i did recently a memorial for a pet Hmm. which was very um helpful for the pet owner they had them bring their collar and their favorite picture and uh invited other people who were in the household with the pet to come and share their favorite stories of the pet and so there was a lot of tears shed and, and we lit a candle and had a reading and had favorite stories of their pet and that was so helpful mm. for the grieving process. I've also had different rituals just personally for myself. I may I may have a little sheet of paper and uh down all the things that I love about the person or miss about the person and then bless it and light it on fire and watch it watch it burn yeah uh, knowing they're not here that's my symbol for they're not here in the physical any longer but they're in my heart always and it also this I want to talk about triggers because Ooh. certain triggers happen when we lose people or things that are important to us Holidays can be very difficult if you've lost someone. Uh, birthdays, anniversary dates, uh, the day they passed, any day that was very important. So for me, I love to have rituals on those days. And I, I think this might be helpful. The first year, the first Thanksgiving after my mother had passed. I always hosted when she was no longer able to host Thanksgiving for the family. I took it over. That became my role. And so I always hosted and had the family over and it was a big deal and fun and joyful. The first year she was gone, I shut that down. Mm-hmm. I didn't for me. Yeah. I didn't want to do that. So there's no right or wrong way. Right. But I personally mm-hmm. didn't want to do that. It was just too painful for me. So I took my family and we went and we volunteered at a food bank at a Thanksgiving food bank that year and uh and so we found a way to give out to others which my mother would have loved yeah. uh that we were doing something for someone else and it just took us out of the memories that we had of, of and the sadness that she wasn't there to celebrate with us now what we do now for different holidays and I really invite people do this if they feel like it'd be helpful. I put their pictures, the loved ones that have passed, I put their pictures on a table and I light a candle during Christmas holiday, whatever holidays are meaningful, Hanukkah or whatever they're celebrating, Kwanzaa. And and then we include them in the prayer. When we're doing our open prayer or our celebration going around the table, we acknowledge that um that they're not with us in physical form, but that they're always with us. And so we include them that way in keeping their memory alive. We may share a story or two about them. So those triggers are uh, important to anticipate. Yeah. 
and to also be thinking about how you can navigate a trigger as it's coming up. How how will you walk through that after you've had a loss? That first thing, you know, for me, I have found with people the first year is always most the first year of coming up is the hardest mm -hmm. because you've not lived life without that person maybe for your entire lifetime. If it was a, a parent uh, or a relationship you've been in for many years. So that that's important how we and how we look to navigate. It is so important. And I think people underestimate what all is happening for us. Like it's obviously we're sad and we're missing them, but also our brain is trying to rewrite. You know, if you at Thanksgiving every year, if you had had the Thanksgiving, your brain would have been going, where's mom? Where's mom? Because that's so unusual. And so it's like having that expectation and compassion that this is it's not only hard on me emotionally because I miss my loved one but it's hard on me physically because my brain is still trying to figure out what happened you know our brains like to predict things and it takes us time to rewrite our idea of what reality is um oh you know and talking about how the brain is wired I, I I'm going to take it to a with suicide because your brain's not mm. wired to lose people Right. So that's always uh, shocking, the shock, and and the grief of suicide is different. Grieving the loss of a loved one, suicide is very different because there's a lot of guilt that's associated when you lose a loved one. There's always what could I? What were the last words I said to that person? Mm. What What if I had said something different? What if I had done something different right. there's so there's great there's um mixed in with the grieving is tremendous guilt yeah and so we have to navigate that as well and navigate that our mind as you're saying is not wired to think that we're going to lose someone inside so uh, we must be very compassionate and very loving with ourselves during this time period if there's anything I really want to impart today, it is the importance of being so tender and so kind, and so loving with your, oh, <laughs> with yourself through this time because it's hard. Yeah. And it's difficult. And we need to have that compassion, just as we have compassion our friends and we want to help them we must have the compassion for ourselves and not say to ourselves oh you should be through this now or allow anybody right. else to say aren't you over this yet? Right. aren't you over the loss of your pet yet <laughs> haven't you got a new dog yet <laughs> no i haven't gotten a new dog yes i'm still grieving and you know it takes the time it takes so i really want people to understand to be gentle themselves yeah. do what you can to nurture yourself and to surround yourself with people that will be a support system for you yeah like people who lost someone to suicide there are survivors of suicide groups and for me when i walked into a meeting my first meeting hey i didn't walk into one in several years after my sister passed I just, it was painful to think about it, but I felt like I was emotionally well enough to walk into a meeting. And um, it felt so good to walk into a meeting where everybody there, only people that are there are people who've lost someone. Wow. So they know. Yeah. They know. You don't have to say anything. They know how you're feeling, and they're there to love you and support you. And I really thought I was in a good emotional place. And though they go around and ask you who you've lost and say their name, it came time for me two years later to say my sister's name. I couldn't even say her name. Mm -hmm. I just burst out crying. And so being tender with myself in that moment and right. saying that's okay, 
that I couldn't say her name. Uh, I know she knows I love her. Right. And uh, and to be with people that understand and they're there to support you and love you and not say, are you, are you still grieving that? Gosh, it's been several years now. You know, back in the old days, I don't know what year it was or what time period it was, but back in the old days, I think people used to wear like a, something on their arm. You know, back in the old days, women dressed in black for a year right? so that people would know they were in mourning. And at some time period, people used to wear like a band on their arm that was black that would indicate they were mourning. Because you don't necessarily, when you're in this tremendous raw space, yeah. you don't necessarily want to hear, you know, so-and-so didn't get their right coffee order this morning. And they're devastated about it, right? right. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, okay, there's, I'm grieving. But, you know, I, I, I'm sorry you didn't get your right coffee order this morning, but I'm grieving. Uh, let's, let, 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 have some compassion for me during this time period. I wish we could get back to that. I wish we could understand people are in the midst of grief and really treat them with great tenderness and great care. Oh, man. What a beautiful vision i i remember having after we lost our first child i remember talking to my husband about like when when would we go back to church and that very first sunday i was like oh heck no because <laughs> it's just you're raw you know what i mean and i i knew everybody that came up even if they already knew even if i didn't have to tell people i was like they're just going to love on me. And when you're so raw, even the love hurts. Like you just gotta, it just gotta take some space. So yeah, I, I think there's also that there's room for that. Like, how can we acknowledge each other? And sometimes it's just with kindness and with not airing our coffee woes. And then it's also just like, okay, let me give her some space to feel her feelings because it is even even for me, and like, I'm an emotional intelligence semi-expert, even for me, it can be hard to not want to make people feel better rather than holding space for their feeling. Um, oh, so yeah, there's definitely a lot of wisdom in that ritual of just wearing black or having the black cuff, you know? Well, I do kind of want to switch to the idea of grief as a teacher and as a gift and like how does grief i mean i have my own thoughts and feelings about how grief is a transformational gift and it serves us and aside from the fact that like it's just the emotional process we need to have after a loss i think it it serves us so i'm curious what what is your relationship to to that idea of grief being a teacher or being a gift it has been a tremendous teacher for me. It has taught me so much about compassion, mm. about caring and and being astute with what another person needs in their time of need. Instead of I, I came from that old school of let me make this better for you. Right. And <laughs> I've learned through grief I, I can't make this better. I love Oriah Mountain Dreamer. She is a poet. And in her uh, poem, I can't believe I can't think of it. Oh, I can't think of the name of it. We will link uh, it in the show notes. We will link it in the show notes because it's so powerful. It's one of my favorite ones. But she says, um, I don't care what your astrology sign is. I don't care how much money you have. I don't care what you do for a living. I want to know if you can stand shoulder to shoulder with me in my darkest times, in my pain. Yeah. Uh, I'm paraphrasing now, but in my grief. Can you stand shoulder to shoulder with me? And, you know, sometimes that means not saying a word. Sometimes it's just standing and being. Uh, so it has been a great teacher for me in that way. It has also helped me to live life fully. It has helped me to embrace that every day is a gift, no matter what, no matter if my coffee order is wrong or my fingernail broke or, right. or the car broke down or that has a flat or whatever it is, I'm here to experience it. 
Yeah. I'm here to experience the whole process and how I experience it be um, how I perceive whatever's happened is 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 how I'm going to navigate and enjoy my life. And so I've learned that every little thing that happens is not the big drama that I thought it was. I just try. I can't say I can't say I'm like this 100% of the time because I'm not. Uh but I do try to know it's all part of a life experience that I'm here. I have the I have the privilege of being here uh in physical form to have those feelings, have those I let them be, let it be. I let them be, I let them flow. And I've learned to really embrace life so much yeah. through grief. It has made me more aware of how precious my own life is and how I want to. I want to, as Henry David Thoreau says, I want to suck the marrow out of life. Yes. <laughs> this made me want to suck the marrow out of life, every <laughs> little bit of it. <laughs> Oh man. So, yeah, that's how that's how it's taught me, Amy. What about for you? Well, so what you said it just reminds me when um my husband and I when we lost our firstborn, we were talking and I remember him saying at one point something had happened and he laughed and I remember him saying like I feel guilty laughing. And mm -hmm. I and I, you know, tried to be loving and understanding and saying, yeah, like everybody does, that's totally common. And also, I don't. Like I I was like I know every time that the grief hits and the anger hits and the despair hits, I'm going to feel that to its fullest degree. And so if I get a reprieve from that with a laugh, I'm going to feel that too. Because it's just, you know, especially in those days that could be so intense. Um, but I think in terms of like what I think grief has taught me is I think because it's so much a neural patterning thing where like with the, with your mom's passing, it's like your brain could say, I, my mom's no longer here. Your brain could say, Oh, my mom's with me in spirit. Your brain could say, I no longer have a mother. Like your, your, what, how you decide to repattern that is vital. Like, you don't get to decide when someone passes, but you do get to decide how you repattern it. And I think it's, um, it's interesting because grief is such a mixture of like, we're kind of victim to it. We can't predict it. We can't control it. Um, but on the other hand, we, we do get to have some ownership of how we walk through it. And like, maybe I'm going to choose to wear black. Maybe I'm going to choose to take some mental health days or however I'm going to support myself. Um, but in general, it feels like grief is the opportunity to redefine yourself, whether it's the job or the loved one, it's like, well, who am I now? Um, and in that way, I, I do feel like it is a gift. I would never choose to have the loss or to have the grief, but it also serves as a very close point of introspection, just like you were saying with suicide, how like there's that guilt and, and kind of the blame. Um, you know, I've done, I've done lots of readings for family members that have lost people to suicide and it can very easily create rift in the families where they blame each other. And so it's like dealing with that. Could I have done something better? Should I have done something better? I mean, those are good questions for us to ask of ourselves, regardless of whether or not somebody passes, you know, like trying to find healing in a relationship at any time is a good idea, but grief yanks it out of you. And, and so I think if we can allow it, if we can have the compassion, it can be a teacher of sorts or an opportunity of sorts, not a chosen opportunity but it can be an opportunity. Um, but I wonder if that resonates with you at all. Oh, it absolutely does. It absolutely does. Uh, one thing you said about if it's a job loss, really the majority of people that I have known in my lifetime that have lost their job, that's, that's a grieving process. Oof. But they have always, always gone on to redefine themselves 
and and find something that was even greater. You know, I did a talk recently about the universe has your back. Mm. And uh, sometimes if we're not moving our own feet, Oh yeah, and moving from a job that we may not care for or that we're not really enjoying. It's my thought process is the universe is going to help you along, okay? Yeah. And this is coming to an end so that you can very well step into who you really are and who you really want to be. You say you want to be. So yeah, how we repattern that is so important. Uh, it is so important. It's key. What you said is key. And then the same thing, yes, with grief and loss, with my sister's loss. I could have chosen to have been angry with her. Oh, yeah. I could have, you know, stepped into, why did you do this? I tried so hard. Uh, I was her caregiver for 10 years. She mm. was left from a bad accident, paralyzed, partially paralyzed, and uh, brain damage. I never stepped into that. I was never angry with her. I chose to honor the decision that she did not want to be here anymore. And uh, just just shape it in a way that I could live with. That I know she wasn't acting out of trying to see how much she could hurt me. I knew that's not what she was doing. And so it's very important what you're saying. These are to be able to sit down and look at it and and frame it in a way that is palatable. Yeah. For us as we're walking through and navigating that grieving process you know what's going to speak what's going to serve us the best during this time it wouldn't serve me to be mad at my sister right and wonder why she had to do this no i i was never ever not for a second uh sad that she was gone yes oh that's interesting anger is my like (laughs) that's my go-to if i don't want to experience grief i just get angry (laughs) yeah that's my patterning. I don't want to be sad, so I'll just be angry. Well, you know what? And so go be angry. Yeah. Just go outside. I've been angry too at times. I'll go outside and I just get something and piss a big stick and just start hitting the ground with it. It feels just so good. Yes. Get... Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can remember when I was young and I lived in an apartment. And I would have, uh, maybe I would have a disagreement with my husband at the time. And uh, I would go, because I didn't want to disturb the neighbors, so I would go get in the car, turn the music, turn the car on, turn the music up, roll out, and just scream. Scream, yep. <laughs> right? I'm so angry. <laughs> well, instead of screaming at him, <laughs> I'll just go scream in the car with the music. I was screaming, because you need to get that out of your body. You it's do. Important yeah. Not to, not carry that in your body to find a way to get it out whether it's exercise turning the music up and screaming or whatever works for you right yeah and then with grief like i i find myself in the fetal position yeah i mean i just i don't ever consciously there's sometimes i consciously go there but there's lots of times where i feel like i wake up and realize i'm in the fetal position yeah because you just feel so vulnerable um yeah you know, I, I can remember being an adult and wanting to climb in my mom's lap. <laughs> just like, you know, just can you hold me, mom? <laughs> so oh, I know. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. Me too, yes. My mother was 90 something when she passed. Wow. And up until the very up until the very end, I same thing. I would just go and say, Mom, can you just hold me? You know, yeah. she'd wrap her arms around me and hold me, rock me. And be like, oh, thank you, Mama. Because he felt safe, right? Yeah. And so, yeah, and loved. And so, yeah, I'm like you. I have been in that fetal position many times. And there's something very comforting about that. There is. You know, comforting about uh, you're in that position and you're just, in many ways, shutting the outside world down and, and you're, you're just in your comfort, you know, your comfort. Maybe you're even rocking yeah. back and forth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that, like, you know, we've, we've talked about, like, the neural patterning and also the physical of emotion. It's, like, it's so important to embody it, you know. And I think yeah. that's kind of, that kind of harkens back to, like, wearing the black cuff of just, like, wearing our emotions, actually experiencing our emotions. For me, I know that 
embodying it, like having the hitting the tree with a stick, having the yelling in the car, like whatever it is, having those moments allows me to move through things faster. Like yes. it can feel dramatic, but then but then it's out of your body and you don't have to carry it anymore, yes. or at least for yeah. whatever amount of time. <laughs> But um, so I want to ask you, since we're coming up on an hour, um, I feel like early on, you said like the biggest lesson is to have compassion for yourself and to be tender with yourself. And I absolutely agree that that's the biggest lesson. But I just wonder, do you have any other words of wisdom or anything else you would want to say to people that are experiencing grief? Yes, do seek help. Mm. Do when you can, you're ready. It will help you to be with others who do understand. There are many um, grief and loss support groups. Yeah, we will be having a community uh, towards the end of the year, Journey Grief, which takes you on your journey with your grief, which is so helpful. Oh my gosh, people really talk about how it helps them navigate that their loss. Um, so I, a group is so important for people that understand. Same thing with survivors of suicide, which we have here at the first and third of every month mm. uh, in the evening, seven o'clock. It's uh, survivors of suicide. And that is so helpful to be able to go in and say what you're feeling. People understand and are there to support you. I, I my biggest words of wisdom is that caring and tenderness for yourself and please reach out mm. please reach out be with a community that understands what you're going through and that can help you through it and sometimes we need professional counsel to navigate through a loss and sometimes when i lost my sister i needed to i even with counseling and support groups i still needed to be on i needed to be on medication to help was so devastating to me i couldn't i couldn't even stand the pain of the day uh and so for me mm -hmm. that's what i needed short term in order to come to terms with what had happened so whatever it takes to help you walk through and navigate your grief reach out ask for help get the help you're not alone you're not going to go crazy um, you're not going to die. It will not kill you. Reach out. Don't, don't, don't go through this by yourself. Let the, go get the support that's there for you, uh, with people that understand that would, that's what I want to say. Uh, it feels like our time went by so quickly. It did. It did go uh, so quick. Well, um, so I know we are coming to the very end, but don't, you're not alone. You're not alone in your grief. There is nothing that you can go through that someone else hasn't been through. Oh man, so, amen. Right? Yeah. Well, um, Cindy Klein, why don't you <laughs> just tell people where and how they can find you, you know? You can find me. I have a website. It's thehopelady.com. Thehopelady.com. Reach there. I'm also at Unity of Houston. Uh, you can reach out to my email, cline, C-L-I-N-E, at org. I'm available to uh, visit, to help navigate. Thank you so much, Cindy. I really appreciate it. And we'll talk soon. I have enjoyed being with you so much today. What, a, what an honor. All right. All right. Bye.